Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Welcome to the Asia Tech Podcast. Um, this is the Pitch Tech Asia. I'm Gustavo Liu, today's host. I'm joined by Alan Go, the CEO and co-founder of NDR Medical. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. Welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. I'm Gustavo Liu, and I'm today's host with Alan Go from NDR Medical Technical uh, NDR Te- Medical Technology Private Limited. That is a company. Yeah, hi. Sorry hi, for the Alan. name being a bit long. But <laughs> yeah, yes, you can call, just call us NDR in short. NDR, like your shirt. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we yeah. definitely have to wear something nicer and appropriate for the company to be on the podcast. No, but it's, it's good. And I, I was actually very interested to find out um, about your logo because it has looked like it has sort of like a cross, right? Um, could you just tell us a little bit about how you designed the logo? Oh, the design was... Uh, actually, we've gone through a few rounds of iteration in terms of the design. The first logo doesn't definitely look like this. But so far, if you look at the logo clearly, um, there's like digital spots, like yeah. uh, you know, AI nodes that we connected everything together. Oh, but right. in actual fact, there's a lot of study that we go into designing this logo. I mean, um, I... Uh, unfortunately, I, I can't pull out a slide for you to show how we actually design it. There's yeah. actually uh, like a middle S and S in between the lines. So it's like a surgical surgery, oh, right, safe right, surgery right. or SS. And it kind of looks of like a brain. Yeah, it kind of looks like a brain. So you can call it AI, you can call it uh, electronics, uh, nodules, you can you can call it um, the hidden word like I mentioned, safe surgery or something. That's what represent the company is actually doing. I love it. I love it. So um, Alan, you are a... In the medical field, you are medtech, right? And you are also doing AI <laughs> within it. Um, it's probably one of two of the hottest sort of topic today kind of put together. And obviously, there's a lot of demand um, for this area on the medical field um, for innovation. And a lot of the practices kind of look for disruption. I want to start a little bit to understand about your motivation. I mean, you founded the company back in, what, 2015? It started off with 2000, uh, late 2014. They let, uh, how yeah. did it start? Um, in actual fact, I mean, the, I'm, I'm the co-founder. I'm, me, myself, uh, and my co-founder, Jason. We actually started off about 15 years ago. We got to know each other in our first job. We are from A-Star, DSI. And from then on, we are so excited about design development, serving industry. And we have wanted to spin off as a company on a whole. So we have been harboring this idea for the last... 15 years? Yes. and and So you sat on it for 15 years? Oh, uh, no. We, we wanted to start something. So we have okay. ventured into a couple of things but never really uh, gone very serious into it. It's just that in 2014, whereby I'm quite exposed to the ecosystem in startups, in the medical field as well. So I roped Jason back into the team saying that, hey, you know what? Let's do something very interesting. We are engineers and we should do something for the long run for the medical field. I, I think there's a very good prospect in what we are we probably could develop in. Yeah. So we actually found doctors, uh, get the problem statement sort of validated. And with that, actually, we applied for some of the government grants. And that's how we kickstart everything. So you, you kind of went back to the doctors and you asked them what is the major pain points and what are the sort of issues they were facing. Did you start off like, was, was it, um, did you have an idea already in mind or was it more like a broad sort of let's explore and see which are the worthwhile solving pain points? 
Uh, no, we we actually stumbled on onto this by doing a lot of uh, research. Like, what are the main pain points that hasn't been resolved? Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of with some solution, initial ideas of using robotics for percutaneous access. Yeah. So we validate this um, solution with uh, one of our key principal investigator from Tan Tock Seng Hospital in the start. Yep. Uh, and fortunately, after a while of uh, doing trials together, um, I'm happy to say the doctor actually invested in the company as well. Oh, wow. But did, I st- did the idea start off by looking at precision for surgeries? Uh, yes, yes, yes. It all started off with uh, understanding that uh, it's very difficult for doctors to do a percutaneous puncture, uh, even though it's image-guided, but because you need a lot of hand-eye coordination. And yeah. Generally, not not even talking about surgeons. A lot of people is not that good at it. Oh my god, that's like flashback to Doctor Strange, where he had. Have you seen that movie where yeah, he yeah, had yeah, that yeah, accident yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. he had to like had this hand precision thing and perform like very accurate correct, correct. surgery. Yeah, for Doctor Strange, I mean that that movie is is great. I mean, uh, but definitely it showcased a lot of like uh, hand eye coordination, a lot yeah. of surgery. Whether is it good or whether is it po- even possible? It depends on the skill set of the doctors. Um, and it's very difficult to replicate um, unless you are that good. So right now, what we are trying to do is to develop some surgical robotic system yep. that sort of, sort of mimic or trying to learn from the best surgeon in the world. Uh, and that could translate down to uh, helping other surgeons, helping other clinicians in terms of performing the surgery to a certain uh, minimum level of care that they can provide. So uh, in, in one of the motto or the mantra for the company is that with our robotic system, we hope that every hospital in the world could be a good hospital. A great hospital. Yeah, a, a great hospital. And, and I think it is so um, important because gone are the days where you will go to the doctor. I mean, you want to trust your doctor, right? But doctors are human beings too. And a lot of surgery, especially in the surgery um, area, there's a lot of mistakes that tend to happen. And it could be life-threatening at times as well. Both on the area, I mean, we, we also work with other startups that are doing surgical mm. sort of solutions, but they're looking more on the areas of minimizing mistakes in terms of sewing a cotton inside the body or leaving a scissor inside somebody else's those pictures on Google. Mm. But you guys are actually targeting directly at the uh, precision to make it more accurate when you are targeting a particular spot, right? Yeah, um, in, in short, yes, that's, that's correct. Um, but of course, I definitely would like to share most of the doctors or most of the surgeons that we are working with or we have seen or uh, or currently we, we haven't come in contact with. All doctors are, are actually quite good at what they do. Yeah. I mean, they have been doing this for the last 10, 10 over years. Of course. They are all good. Uh, it's just that what we see in terms of the gap is that I mean, a lot of things that we are doing nowadays are technology-driven. Uh, we can help them to be even even better. If like, say I want to draw a similarity, if it's like you are a craftsman, mm-hmm. you can craft things uh, pretty nicely. Yeah. But in actual fact, even if I'm not good with my hand art, I can use machine, I can use robot, I can use um, like CNC machine to produce a very nice artwork as well. So yep. what we are doing here is to sort of bridge the gap. So doctors, um, even though they are good, we can help them to be more productive or we can help them uh, in terms of uh, reduce the number of radiation exposure or you know 
Well, the example that I use a lot is: Would it be reasonable for me to go when I see my doctor and expect my doctor to have all the latest cure and the latest solutions and the latest medicine that is available around the world? No, but I would expect my doctor to empathize with my discoloration of my skin and how much pain I'm suffering. But I would expect him or her to be assisted by a somebody or something that would be able to provide some of the best treatments around the world. And this is where I see a lot of the latest innovation is not so much about、um, trying to overtake those、um, yeah. roles, but is to empower them with better、um, services so that they can, you know, save more lives. Yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely the way you you put it across is definitely correct because right now we are trying to develop the thing as an assistive tools、yeah. to the surgeons. We are trying. To make them better, but definitely not to replace them because we still believe that the human approach、uh, is very important. Because、uh, machines、um, at this current stage, or for the next five to ten years, I I think we we are still more comfortable working with surgeons. Uh, you have to, yeah, we,、right? we have to. We that have to. they are the people that have been for centuries have been liaising with people, and people trust another human、yeah. being. Correct. That's Otherwise, it'll be like a whole new level of like education, right? That you have to try to convince people.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I would advise all other startups,、um, stop replacing doctors. They are important to us. <laughs> yeah, that actually that's very important. We、yeah. see time and time again where founders come and they said, "Oh, I want to replace such and such and such," whether it be at advertisement or、um, advertising agencies or banking or、um, medical field. And it's not always the case because you want to be able to empower those professionals so they can be good at what they do. And at the same time, be ac- having access to everything, all the tools and all the knowledge that is available out there, right? And that is the difference, I think, where innovation and disruption come in place. Do you really need that much disruption when you can ben- sow the fruits from innovation? Yeah, that's right. So I want to refer a little bit about your deck because、um, I saw something really interesting、um, where you talked about. It's about、um, disrupting. Well, not disrupting, but like robot-assisted surgery, right? And in this area, you talk about there's 9.6 million cancer deaths. I know Singapore has a very high rate of cancer,、um, especially. And please prove me if I'm wrong. I'm、um, female woman with breast cancer rate seems to be、um, higher here in Singapore. Is that the com the the common sort of、um, f- sort of trend that you you're seeing? Um, right now, based on the statistics that I've put up, actually, is based on WHO. Nine point six million cancer death is、uh, worldwide, not just in Singapore itself.、Uh, breast cancer, as you correctly point out, is definitely one of the top killers、uh, in Singapore.、Mm-hmm. But、uh, if you talk about the general population, because it affects women, yeah, definitely more so than men. Yeah, so it's it's not one of the main killer for for you know Singaporeans. So, what would be the main kinds of cancer? Is it lung lung cancer, or are we looking at other forms of cancer here in Singapore?、Um, the top five cancer definitely includes a、uh, lung, breast, or some other indication, which I I, I mainly because I'm not in the、medical. I'm not a medical doctor, so、yeah. it's very difficult for me to put up the statistics、uh, yeah. exactly for you. But、yeah. definitely, lung and breast cancer is the top killer in Singapore. But of course, other thing that other than cancer, it could be diabetics, it could be. Other、uh, problem that、uh, we might be facing, not just cancer alone. Okay, interesting.、Um, obviously, lung cancer, a lot of it associated with tobacco. Uh, yes, yes. Or is it air? Air, like say for example, certain countries have more bad air. 
based on the research and based on the survey that we 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 sort of uh, done, lung cancer is one of the top killer. Like like I mentioned in my slides, if yeah. you are diagnosed with any form of lung cancer, the chances of uh, survival is very minimal. Eighty four point two percent of the time is like almost confirmed you are you're gonna die from it. Oh no. Um depending on which stage it's like you can't remove it at all. Yeah unfortunately because most of the lung cancer is diagnosed at the later stage and WHO actually did mention that if you are able to detect it um actually by the way of screening or by the way of uh, regular checkups or even uh, with AI that you can detect cancer at a much earlier stage, the survival rate will be much higher. Uh, but, but I touched on the point you mentioned about tobacco. Tobacco is definitely one of the main cause, I would say the main, main cause. But research has shown that uh, the earth, the pollution, the air that we are breathing in is one, is another cause as well. So in places like probably in China, whereby there's more industrial, I mean, the cancer rate is going out as well. So in US and China, uh, which amounts to most of the lung cancer cases we have seen. But interestingly enough, very interestingly enough, um, while we are working with SGH and local hospitals, yeah. we have seen cases of women, non-smoker, getting lung cancer. Lung cancer. That, which is, is which is not unusual. I mean, sometimes it's heritage, right? It, like how you, you if your family had it, it's, it's in genetic passed along. Uh, yes, yes and no. But the, the worrying part is, is an increasing number. Okay. It's not just like, oh, okay, we our population is like 5.6 or 5.9 and the statistics is uh, stagnant. No, yeah. it's, it's increasing number of cases of lung cancer in women. And one of the research that was recently published by MOH was that uh, it could be even possible because of like cooking oil or oh something. And then the worst part for non-smoker and women is that generally there isn't any symptoms. It's yeah. too late. Yeah. yeah. Especially if it's in areas where it's not so visible. Like, for example, like now there are ways of um, teaching such as testicular cancer or, or breast cancer, you could actually feel, um, it, feel it. But like lung cancer, you don't know until things are really bad. Yeah. Typically, if you are a smoker, lung cancer symptoms could be like coughing out of blood, shortness of breath. or But that is much uh, later, right? That yeah. by, by the time you start coughing blood, it's sort of like, what kind of stages are we looking at? Typically, I would say, I, I'm not a medical doctor, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I would say about stage stage two or stage three, I mean, if your early symptoms occur much earlier, sometimes uh, it, it could be catch on uh, much much earlier. But most of the time, or say, not say most of the time, some of the time is being captured during your regular checkup when you do x-ray or, you know, when they see some shadows in oh, your yeah. lung, they will advise you to go for CT scans. Yeah, for deeper analysis. Um, can we talk a little bit about the, how you're solving this using um, AI technology? Because right now, you're, this slide is saying that the inaccuracy of how the doctors are currently, or even like human, you know, human um, surgeries is causing a lot of sort of mistakes, right? A lot of um, accidents. Um, okay, based on Mike's slide, I, I, I correct a little bit. It's, it's, it's not a mistake. I mean, mm. I, they didn't say that uh, doctors make mistakes. It's more like um, it's inaccurate. Sometimes when you do percutaneous puncture with a needle, yeah. it's like, you know, shooting an your archery, you're you are trying to shoot an arrow to a bull's eye, to a dot. Sometimes you... you a just, cherry. Yeah, it's just a, <laughs> or just a cherry or an apple. You, you just don't get to the target that you want to, even yeah. though you can see it or even though it's image-guided. 
So with such inaccuracy, uh, nevertheless, if let's say you have a very small tumor or nodule within the lung, it's very difficult to puncture it, uh, image guided. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, to be confirmed or rest assured that you know whatever sample tissue sample that you actually extract from that nodule is uh, correct. And even with the latest AI. Uh, sorry, other startups, please don't kill me. But <laughs> even with the latest AI diagnostics or you know diagnosis whereby they take pathology, AI pathology, yeah. whereby they they uh, smear the tissue samples on the glass uh, plate and they view it through the microscope and they're trying to see what is the stage of the cancer. But unfortunately, uh, rubbish in, rubbish out. If you don't get a correct sample at the right uh, nodule core, Mm-hmm. Uh, you you don't get the right staging of the cancer. So for even for digital pathology, you require an accurate sample yeah. to be extracted uh, through the biopsy in order to have a correct staging in terms of the cancer or the type of cancer. Whether is it a uh, small cell or is it large uh, cell cancer? So at what stage is the AI, your AI right now in compare in comparison to like what is available out there? Uh, this is a bit of a trade secret, but whatever yeah. I can share right now is that we are using AI in a very different manner because people have been asking us, you know, you know, a lot of people are doing AI, so what's so special about you? Like I mentioned, you have AI pathology, you have uh, AI for video analytics, you have AI for a lot of things. Image recognitions for AI for yeah, <laughs> biometric. Yeah, yeah. So actually a lot of people, a lot of startups or a lot of companies, a lot of big MNCs are uh, going to the AI region. And to me, eventually... AI search, AI uh, analytics will be somewhat like a Google search. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, it will be sort of commoditized and it becomes so easily available that it's very difficult to market or, or sell as an item. And but what, also like what kind sure. of AI, right? Because then you've got correct, like correct. so many different kind of AI and yeah. all different stages. So it's different level. Yeah. A lot of confusion between machine learning, between what AI yeah, is, yeah, yeah. about what um, algorithm, you know, smart matching algorithms are. And they all kind of cut, people that don't understand AI categorize them all under AI as yeah. a big umbrella. Correct, correct. I mean, there's very variation. I mean, they could be as simple as just normal uh, image recognition and people can call it uh, AI uh, as exactly, well. Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. So what we are using AI, we are coupling it with a robotic uh, device and in research or in some of the surveys that we did and we understand that AI coupled with a device, coupled with a hardware, um, it makes commercialization a little bit easier and the sticky effect of using your AI, uh, I mean, it's going to be there. If it's just going to be a pure software play, is easy replaceable, but if you have hardware and How the hospital, software, yeah. yeah, the hospital is using really using your hardware. So the AI element is sort of. Uh, it's also a higher barrier to entry, yeah, right? It's, because it's higher barrier of entry. Deploying hardware is just so much like capital intensive, and just so many things could go wrong. But if you get it right, you got it. You got the market for yourself, right? right. And and uh, like I uh, mentioned. Most of the company are using AI for accuracy, for determining probably the staging or trying to use image to sort of identify the cancer stage. Yeah. But we are using AI as more of a targeting tool. So the AI itself under the CT image or under MRI or under other form of image, we are able to locate and diagnose the tumor on site. And then once it, it finds it, it just locks the position. Yes, so it locks the position. It sends coordinates to the robotic system and we can accurately do the puncture. Sometimes if, you see, whatever doctors can see right now, AI is supposed to be able to replicate. 
But the the way we see is even uh, with different radiologies, uh, even they view the same images, they might give a slightly different diagnosis. Yeah. So what we are trying to replace is we work with the best from uh, Singapore General Hospital. Yep. And with that, we annotate the images and we are trying to learn from the best how they identify where is the core of the nodule. Because even if you can target the tumour, yeah, doesn't mean you hit the core. Yeah. I mean, even within the tumour itself, there is different grades of uh, cancer cells. And also like different angles that you have to target target it right all of yeah. those kind of t- have to take into account yeah so right now we we are actually increasing the possibility of how um, doctors or how interventional radiologists are performing needle guidance previously if let's say they are limited by ct ct guidance yeah. they, they have to only puncture in a single phase two-dimensional phase yeah. but with our robotic system actually we allow them to skip the angle uh, of how they puncture. They no longer is limited by the 2D image slice, but it could cut across a few slices. Yeah. And that will, will generally help them avoid a lot of um, mis- yeah, mis- ribs, uh, errors, yeah, errors, ribs, vessels, or arteries. Yeah. Which is the sensitive area because it could uh, the wrong puncture could send somebody into coma. Uh, not just is coma. I mean, it, there could be internal hemorrhage or oh. there could be pneumothorax, there could be so many other complications that is not seen. Yeah. But traditionally, let me let me give a very short description of how is it performed right now. It's, sure. I'm not trying to scare everyone. I saw that video, by the uh, way, that you guys did with the, new, uh, with the news, um, with the Chinese News Asia or uh, something, okay, okay. about Singapore bringing AI into China. Ah, okay. And like, I think it was you or one of your... Um, um, colleagues that sp- did a demonstration uh, no. of what traditional was. No, no, no. Or was no. that the journalist? Yes, that's the journalist. That's the journalist. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> you guys actually let the journalists play with the machines, the, t- the technology. Uh, where we were in, uh, th- that video, I think you are talking about the one that we took in uh, Nanjing, China, yeah. Nanjing, whereby yeah. it's an AI forum. I mean, we met up with the reporter. I mean, he was like, oh, interested what you're doing. And I was like trying to give a description of uh, how we perform and we bought a simulator over there and within a very short description, uh, he actually managed to capture what we are talking about. I was like, oh, Amazing. How, how do you actually know about all this? So he did mention that previously he covers uh, surgery, like the healthcare, med- in the healthcare area and our device, we have made it so simple that a push of a button is all it requires. It doesn't, it doesn't require very complex training or no. you know, understanding of the surgery in order to perform it. So we said, wow, okay, that's easy enough. Never mind, let me do it for you. So he just interviewed me based on uh, what the system is about. And uh, he good, performed that. Yeah, himself. performed a good one. Many of it is him performing the surgery because uh, whatever we have developed, we are not trying to produce another very complex solution so that the doctors have a, you know, a very difficult for them to pick, pick up. Probably you need like wow, six months in before you can actually perform whatever is done. We are trying to make it as a smart system with AI, with a lot of. Uh, control system with a lot of technology actually we made uh, the alignment portion to as simple as just a push of a button but that is exactly that is down to the core of how you are empowering doctors to do their jobs better it's the same thing I I ask a lot of developers I ask them where do you see the future of developers in the next 10 to 20 years 
the ones that get that don't get it will often tell you, oh, there's going to be more programmers because with the rise of AI, with the rise of demand for technology, there's going to be a need for more people who can be, you know, coders and, and software engineers. But that's not the truth. The future yeah. is so that my grandma will be able to create an app without knowing how to code, right? Yes, and yes. the same thing I would say that the doctors, what do they do best? And leave those very precision those precision type of surgery for equipments that are able to perform in a much larger scale by in the future I can possibly I don't know paramedics or or nurses will be able to perform those kind of surgery because it's as easy as as pressing on the bottom yeah so uh, like I always share uh, throughout this entire podcast make the life or make the job for the doctors easier oh yeah you need them but just make their job easier bring them more productive and that's how I see innovation coming in. Not just to replace, disruption comes in many forms. And to help them do their job better, increase the entire value chain, um, better clinical outcome, patients actually get um, to recover faster. Yeah. So this should be the way that we are doing, especially in the medical field. We always have the patient in mind. Even if it's good for the doctor, good for the hospital, but it's not good for the patient, that's something not something that we want to dealt with is definitely an entire value chain it should be affordable to the hospital helps the doctors oh, yeah. and definitely brings about a lot and of scalable. clinical benefit yeah scalable doctors right now are in so much stress they are overworked it's precisely because especially at the hospitals you know like as the the in singapore specifically to be able to make an appointment for a surgery, you have to schedule way way in advance and the waiting time is so long uh, to be able to use, and I, I don't look at disruption in the same way that, you know, traditionally we've been looking at come here and replace something that has already been done. You are essentially adding value to what they're doing. It's not so much about disruption. You can appreciate innovation without disruption, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, the, can we look at your, your next slide, which talks about the, the market right now? Um, and obviously we talked about the sort of cancer patients um, and that is a humongous size in terms of the device market how do you see yourself going forward in comparison to what is already available out there um the slide that i'm um, showing here mm. we are just talking about the biopsy uh device market and mainly we should look at the guidance system because that's exactly what we are doing sure. which is a 1.1 billion market by 2024 and in all this the interesting part it's only, we are talking about biopsy here. And you okay. talk about ablation and you talk about many other percutaneous access. Actually, this market size for us is humongous. I would say it's way, way, way beyond what we are looking at right now. Okay. And um, could you just describe to us a little bit about your business model um, and how do you work? Your customers, I would assume, are the hospitals and the doctors, right? Are yes. you targeting the clinics as well? Uh, no, right now it's more of a B2B business and we are look, definitely looking at hospital, mm -hmm. less so of a clinic, but mainly hospital with imaging equipment. Okay. Uh, so the business model definitely includes like uh, capital equipment, which we are... The hardware, right? Yeah, the, the hardware. You, you, you need the robot. We are, we are selling robots. So you need to buy the <laughs> robot. You can't just buy our software. So even if you buy multiples of our uh, system, you still definitely require it. But the robot is the main thing. Okay. So we have a capital equipment, which is the robot system. We have single-use consumable because uh, some of the components hold on to some of the needles that has to be punctured within the body. So yeah. it has to come sterile. So it's a one-time use 
consumables. Yep. And definitely we have uh, so software. So disposable. Yeah, it's a disposable. Okay. It's a disposable. And this is very good for the US market because we are talking about uh, reimbursement, we are talking about the insurance. So you need to have a reimbursable component, which is the consumable we are talking about here. And for software licensing, um, let me let me put it in a very nice way. Sure. Even though I'm saying that we are, our disruption comes in many forms. Mm-hmm. Innovation definitely is the key. Yeah. Uh, for the disruption has to come in stages. Yep. So like like I share again, don't try to change the world in a day. Mm-hmm. It takes a long while. It takes yeah. a lot of steps. So within our software license, you can actually license the most basic version of it, which is the automated needle targeting. Which so is it's automation. like a SaaS model, right? Yeah, SaaS yeah. model, which we don't actually provide doctors with a lot of analytics, analysis. No. But the second tier of the software actually allows you to uh, based on specific uh, anatomy, it could be the lung, it could be the kidney, it could be the liver, it could be the pancreas, even it could be brain. So that would be more targeted approach. Yeah. So the software is supposed to tell you how, where uh, to puncture in order to minimize the risk of complication. And that's where that's where we want to actually uh, not just add value, make doctors better. We are actually trying to sort of improve the entire ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, the data field. is valuable, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, the data is You're valuable. aggregating all of that data across yes, different yes, hospitals yes. around the world. Yeah. Especially if once they use the, the the software, they would be able to extract what is very specifically targeted, not just within correct, the, correct. their organization, but across yes, all of the similar yes. type of um, problems. And even in the last tier of the software licensing, we are going to add in, which we focus a lot more on right now, is the AI element of it, which... Uh, I wouldn't say that we are better than doctors at this current stage, but definitely can give them an additional sort of uh, view, you know, whether this is the right approach to go. And interestingly enough, when I speak to many doctors, it becomes a training tool. It becomes a training tool for junior surgeons to learn more complex uh, puncture because, you know, we give advice, oh, this is the way, oh, okay. Then they will try to understand why does the AI or why, why does the computer think that this yeah. is the best method to do the puncture as well? So eventually, uh, because we mimic or we try to replicate what the best doctor would be doing. Yeah. And it can cut across the entire world. It's not but just about Singapore. Can I just say that you are also by allowing the sort of junior surgeons to be able to learn what you guys are doing, it enables them to solve other problems that you know this particular machine might not have been completely designed initially for. But in eventually, we'll evolve into that kind of, kind of... And we see a lot of those cross-pollination strategies because they've been opened up to more junior, um, sort of more ambitious. And some of them are... Because they're surgeons, they also have a little bit of business sense. So mm-hmm. they will be able to identify opportunities that will come back to you and say, hey, let's explore if we can do more with this machine. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's how we... We actually started. I mean, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna you know give it all. I mean, you guys go started, rogue. <laughs> yeah, we, we we started off with uh, we actually started off the entire project or the company uh, with uh, Dr. Tan, yeah. which is one of our key uh, key, which is our uh, chief medical officer right now. He's in private practice. Yeah. Uh, he he we we work with him on sort of uh, puncturing the kidney, and after he invested, he told us, hey, you know what. This platform is actually quite good. It's a platform. It's not a single indication device. You actually can work with the orthopedics. You can actually work with the uh, brain surgeons. You can work with many, 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 many other kind of... Uh, eye. 
Yeah. Even, uh, I mean, you have to be so precise yeah. with eye surgery. Less of uh, less of eye right now, but eventually we can yeah, go into that because point, we are looking yeah. Yeah, at some point of time. But you know, there's so much possibility with your robotic system. Like, oh, okay. Suddenly we got the oh, aha moment. Yeah. And he started to connect us to a lot of other different specialties and we started to talk to doctors and that's how we sort of cross-pollinate the, the so ideas. So Dr. Of, Tan was what, your investor? Or yeah. is that, or is, was he your uh, advisor initially? Uh, no, he was our clinical PI. Okay, clinical Cl- uh, PI. Clinical principal investigator. So he works on us together on that particular project. He yeah. helps us do our animal trial and clinical trial. So yeah. he's the one that is performing the surgery on hand and we are like observing how he do it. And yeah, occasionally after he do the animal trial, we were like, okay, he's going back. So we, we start to perform it ourselves. And he invested in a company himself at the yeah. early stage. I always say that your first investors, early stage investors are your visionaries, right? And clearly he was one of the persons that could see this potential of scaling the technology into across different type of segments. Uh... Uh, yes, yes and no. I mean, of course. No, the, the, uh, no. The, the, the ideal part is that a uh, doctor can, if let's say all doctors or all the yeah. uh, high net worth individual or all the VC can immediately see the use case and they will definitely put money in. Mm-hmm. Uh, for our, for Dr. Tan itself, we actually have very good working relationship. And oh yeah, that's I, my My statement to other startups would be like, you have to prove yourself. Yeah. You have to prove whatever your, your technology can, your ideas could be translated you know, you, you have to prove whatever you design, whatever you yeah. visualize could be into actual practice. So it's only after a couple of uh, animal trial and after a few iteration of to and fro giving us the problem statement, this is the how we the way we perform it and we replicate through using the robotic system, is it's where we, you know, the breakthrough comes yeah. about and we see a lot more application that is coming in. So it has to come stage by stage. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to sell a very big idea. Yeah. But investors, I think, at some stage, especially investors that have no familiarity with the medical medtech area and they're interested because it's something that is solving real world, saving lives, sure. right? Sure. Um, but you also want to see how you'll be able to scale into other industries that could be applicable to the investors that... that potentially could use them in their business. For instance, there are a lot of precision targeted um, approach sort of strategies for other industries, um, such as, I don't know, for analyzing some of the, um, in the labs, right? In the study labs, they are, they are looking at stem cells. Um, that is not necessarily so much for surgery, but for research. Um, cutting the right way, cutting, cutting that accuracy of cutting right now, is still, a lot of it is still done by hand. Um, yes, I mean, there's definitely, yes, the, you know, the, the world is your playground. I mean, there's so much more mm. possibility that you can do, but as of a startup, as what we do and based on our vision, based on what yeah. we really love to do, I mean, we have to stay focused in the medical field. Okay. If we are developing surgical robotics and surgical robotics is the way we, we're going to do about it. Yeah. Everything we do or we develop will be more surgical based. Yeah. And, and it's big enough of a market. You're solving a, a really big problem there. Yeah, I'm not going to solve the world's problem. I mean, I'm just going to be focused in terms of what we are developing. So long yeah. as the hospital uses it, so long as we really prove uh, clini- some clinical validation that we are really very helpful, I mean, that will be uh, most appropriate. And like you mentioned clearly, we haven't even reached the the, the the tip of the ice yeah literally <laughs> there's so much more things that we actually can do and yeah. the more surgeons the more 
uh, specialties that we, we met with, we realized that well, it opens up more door to the application that we are targeting. Absolutely. So uh, in the near future or in the next five years, we're just going to do what we are doing yeah. much, much better and we're going to be more value uh, perfecting that we are going to perfect where, where yeah. we are developing and, and that's that's my commitment to my investors and to the doctors who believe in us as well yeah. and interestingly enough initially we thought we are probably just uh, you know we are, we are developing for a very small subset of the medical field yeah. but no I mean we, like I mentioned just now many other application indications that could be uh, worked on and interestingly enough we understand that different countries yep. perform very differently and right now, I can share with you, we, we have uh, clinical interest from the US. Yeah. We, we have some doctors that are already in discussion that is going to work with us. We have doctors in Japan that's already signed MOU with us. We have doctors in Malaysia, in Myanmar, in yeah. India. Well, in China as well, there's a couple of doctors in China. And Singapore is definitely one of our base whereby most of the doctors that we are working already working with. So what, what we are solving is not just focusing on a US problem or a China problem. It's, it's going to be a global, it's going to be worldwide. So the market is definitely huge enough for, for us to, to, be, to be in. Absolutely. Um, so you touched on a couple of countries in terms of yeah. your distribution sort of um, flags, right? Um, and those are currently Oops. the ones that are already collaborating with you. Yes. Um, especially when you are able to go across to other continents that that is where you will be able to gain a much bigger sort of um, customer base how often do you travel to those countries these days do you have to go there and like um, represent and, and, and speak to the hospitals yourself as well yeah we speak directly to the clinician I, I would say as the CEO of the company yeah. interestingly enough for the, last, for the last two years I fly more <laughs> than the rest of my life Wow. Seriously, it's like almost every month I'm traveling to. Did you uh, keep the country. miles? Uh, no, we are. We travel budget. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I travel we, budget. Yeah, we don't get the luxury of uh, uh, getting a lot of <laughs> uh, Chris Fire miles or something like that. But uh, very interestingly, I mean, when you visit different hospitals, you see different approaches, different kind of hospitals. Some are like still using CRT. T morning though. So oh, some are using yeah. uh, the state of the art. So irregardless of how the hospital are doing, there's there's a way we can we can work with them. And in, actually very, I'm curious yeah. on that point, how is adoption taking place? Because like you said, right? A hospital is probably one of the first of all, one of the slowest in terms of adopting technology and replacing all of that infrastructure is extremely expensive, especially if you're doing hardware um devices. They it means that they need to either you know, get rid of those or put it somewhere and, and bring in new new device. What are some of the challenges that you, you've seen and how is adoption in this space? Mm. So far, um, I, I make a little bit of a clarification and correction there. Yeah. For the last five years, we have seen innovation uh, going at a very fast speed as well. Especially in Singapore, you know, your all your local hospital, all the three cluster that we're looking at, yeah. which, which is the NHG, the SingHealth and the NUH site. I mean, they are doing a lot of innovation. Yeah. I mean, most Singapore of the, is very, very Singapore is very even even for foreign countries like China or other parts of the world. Uh, a lot of people are looking at innovation. A lot of people are looking for robotic system or the yep. latest state of that innovation. But what you correctly point out is that uh, adoption could be mass adoption could be slightly slower. But interest in innovation and using the latest technology to solve a clinical problem is definitely there. So the market is almost ready for us to sort of uh, disrupt. Yep. And like you mentioned, 
um, yes, they are slow. They are slow to mass adopt literally for the benefit of patient. Is the education process hard? Uh, I mean, I'm no, more no, on the no. technology front because obviously your technology is not that hard to understand. If a, if a reporter could perform the surgery, it's not that rocket science. Um, but the education in terms of the value from the economics point of view as well as from the efficiency point of view, is that hard to cut across? Uh, no. Most of the doctors that we're working with or, or actually all, we, they, they have conferences, they, they go for they always come together as an entire group worldwide yep. um, to look at the latest art, how people from different parts of the world are performing surgery in a, in a much better way. So the latest gig, the latest tech that they are using, they do a lot of uh, live uh, demo yep. of surgery. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the whole medical field, I, I think it's very interesting. Everybody is very excited about what is the latest, how can I do my job better. But in terms of, like I mentioned, the adoption is slow because of... Uh, um, they are trying to save guts. So the mainly the roadblock that we are facing is more from the regulatory standpoint. Doctors yep. are more than willing. Ah, oh, let just let me try. It. I mean, I want to use the latest to to bring out benefit to my patient. I see immediately what is the risk that I'm going to take. Yeah. I because I'm responsible for everything. And one, I want to use the latest tech because this can really help me. But it's the regulatory standpoint. They are trying to understand what the technology is. But unfortunately, the regulators, most of them are not. Doctors, yeah, they see the value uh, much slower. They want you to do a lot of trial, like wow, 50. when you do ten trials, they ask you, oh, why not you conduct hundred trials? Yeah, why not you get it safer before we use it. On another our country, another place. Yeah, I that's see right. More records, and it's like, oh, how long do you expect me to do this? Like ten years before we can actually put this uh, on a clinical practice. But the doctors are the one that's excited. Just, just pass it to me tomorrow. I want to use it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so just give it to see, me. You, you see, you see the main difference is not the doctors. The doctors easily understand what they need. Yeah, because they are the user. They I understand, understand that. As well. It's the yeah. same thing across other industries as well. In banking, for example, where I spend a lot of years, um, it's the same thing. You you deploy a new sort of technology into financial institutions, and you want to you know try to convince that this is actually going to help them get more value, and it always comes to the point where regulator regulators and the private sector, right have to come to an agreement point and that is where things get a little bit messy. I could totally understand how in the medical yeah. field that could be a little bit messy as well. Yeah. And surprisingly, because all the risks are taken by the doctors, mainly yeah. because they, they are the final say whether they want to use or perform or use any uh, form of technology. Regulators are there to make sure everything is um, safe, I mean, gone through certain processes. I think uh, my advice or my words to the regulators is Sometimes if you want to change the world or you want to improve productivity, yeah. you need to take a leap of faith. Well, Singapore is really that forward-looking. One of the, you know, the, the regulators in Singapore going to taking that leap of faith is a lot faster than a lot of the other countries. Uh, yes, yes, yes and no, but they are faster ones. Yeah. <laughs> like in the, in, the, in the US or in the uh, EU countries, I, I think it's a little bit more mainstream. They are more like they are the the main say or the key opinion regulators yeah. in the world. So so long as today our medical device is FDA or CE certified, yeah. HSA wouldn't have an issue. So far, we have not seen uh, HSA sort of very willingly approve something that is not CE or not uh, 510K FDA approved. Okay. Yeah. Do you... Th- 
is that the main challenge? Uh, what are your challenges in terms of is is it getting the regulate regulators to approve for the if your customers to use the machine? Is that a big hurdle to to jump at this current moment? Do you have other challenges beyond that? Uh, I think for all medical device, uh, clinical validation or the clinical trials, all this is one of the biggest hurdles that everyone will face. Absolutely. So far, we we have mapped out the entire scene and we know exactly what we are doing. We are doing some. We are already conducting some of the clinical trials uh, within the region, and eventually, like by end of this year, we should be completing our trials and starting our registration process by early uh, first quarter of next year. Mm -hmm. I mean, the other challenge that we we might face or we may face is the sort of the selling price. Selling price. In terms of how much do we market our product for? I mean, there's a very different, very verse kind of uh, school of thoughts. If you're speaking to the US yeah. counterparts, they will expect, oh, you have to sell expensive. Premium. Yeah, premium. <laughs> we are the premium. We are like the... A mess of the yeah. <laughs> medical, medical field. But if you go to the China, it's like, hey, you have to sell cheap or else nobody will be buying from you. But I'm not saying that China cannot afford it. China can afford it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, in order for you to be uh, within a certain uh, set of medical device that they can literally just purchase off the shelf, you have to sell below a certain pricing. So in a sense, we, we do get a discrepancy of how things are being sold. If let's say you are doing a consumable product, you are selling to consumables, you're selling to consumers, sorry. Uh, in actual fact, you can have a certain pricing. Yeah. Uh, probably across the region, you slightly differ based on the currency exchange or or you can make some premium based on logistics or what, whatsoever. But in the medical field, it varies very drastically. It, it, same items could be selling uh, at this current price and when you go to another region, you could be selling five oh, times yeah. The particular price because of uh, regulators, because subsidies of uh, subsidies, and, uh, yeah. because of whether they have reimbursement policy or whether is it Absolutely. direct cost to the patient. So this is some of the complication that we we Not see just for device. The We've seen that in the biopharma area. You know, a lot of the drugs that you yeah. can purchase across different countries have different prices. Yes, for yes. various reasons, different barriers, different regulations, different taxes, um, and devices. I would think is far more complex because then you actually have to work with the B2B as opposed to doing the, the so clear-cut B2C market. Yeah, definitely. So it will be always good to work with our local partners. I mean, yeah. they are the ones who are very familiar with how to, you know, maneuver within the whole regulatory yeah. transfer. The risk transfer. To them. Trans not, uh, yes, in a way, transfer the risk. But uh, in another way, I will, I will say, and they are the best person to know what Absolutely. is good and what, what to be done. Yeah. Because you don't want to be selling a device, especially for a medical device, and you sort of flunk some of the um, laws or reg regulation within that country itself and no. get yourself into trouble. So the best thing is still work with the local partners. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got one more question, and this has been really exciting because I could talk about your technology all day. Um, what is the uh, at this current stage you're looking to raise? Is that right? Yeah, you are on a raise. Um, you're looking to raise. Are you a Series A at the moment? Oh uh, yes, the, uh, we are at Series A. We managed to close our. Uh, seat uh, quite quite far back in in the past. Yeah. So right now we are raising our Series A to sort of commercialize the product. Like I mentioned, clinical trial is almost going to be completed. We are raising to go to the US. We are raising to go to the China. So a large part of the funding that we are raising right now is for commercialization yeah. and regulatory approval. 
yeah. less of the clinical trial. Clinical trial side is really covered. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah and uh, and um, what it and it also value to your investors, right? Because once yeah. you start to expand out overseas, then naturally their yeah. shares valuation will go up. <laughs> and yes, because definitely as, as you just now mentioned, whether I'm, am I raising, mm. I mean, the interesting part and the scary part is I'm always raising. Oh, CEOs should always be raising. Yeah, always raising. There's, raising. There's, you should always no. be hiring and should always be raising. Yeah, I'm always, I'm always raising not because we always need money or we always are short of money. No, no, no. no. I mean, no. We, we are at a very good standing right now because some of our backers are institutional backers and they are, they are pretty good. I mean, they, they help us a lot. We bookstrap a lot. We don't spend a lot of money in that sense. But why we are raising? Because for the medical field, we need to work with strategic partners. We need smart money to Absolutely. come in. So I'm always looking for uh, for VCs, you know, what other than money can you bring onto the table? Sorry, the table, whether you have hospital connections, whether you have like tons you of have experience, you have experience the, yeah. for medical device, you yeah. you know someone from the regulators that you can sort of, sort of help us reach or advise us on. Oh yeah, that's so important. Things. So to me, in the medical field, it's more about the smart money. So uh, why am I raising? The color of money. Yeah. yeah, I'm not just raising money, I'm raising resources, networks, yep. partners that yep. I can bring together. So can you um share with us how much you're raising? Uh we are raising moderately, we are just raising about six million sing oh, that's uh, reasonable. For, the, for the for time being. Yeah, I mean for your machine, you know, like even in the US when we look at medical equipment, they throw in very yeah. large numbers and but I think being raised enough to take you to the next level and then look at later stages will be a lot more valuable as well for your investors in the long run. Yes, definitely. Because we are raising a small round right now. If you invest right now, definitely the the jump, the number of X or number of times that you can get uh, profit from is definitely going to be much better rather than I raise a big round with a big valuation. And the and suddenly yeah. you dilute everybody's... Um, yeah, that's yeah. right. So we rather raise sufficiently for us to go to the next phase because every phase that I raised, the yeah. next one will be sort of like very, very nice because we race according to stage. Yeah. We don't race according to when we need money. We yeah. race like when we finish our animal trial, we race when we're going to finish our clinical trial. We're going to race once we, you know, like right now I'm racing to get the CE certification. So after FDA CE, once I got all the regulatory approval, then we might race again for for the market access for global, but uh, obviously yeah, at a different valuation launch. by then yeah. and it will be uh, fair to your earlier investors yeah, so, yeah, yeah. that's why it's, it's clearer it's, it's more cleaner to see okay based on this phase it's raising this money for so right now we, we give more assurance rather than within the same phase of like say clinical trial uh, some companies might raise a couple of times just to bridge the gap but no we are looking at literally using this money to cross a certain phase and you are rest assured that there will be a valuation jump when we cross over to the next phase or when we raise the next round. That is a wise advice for any startup who is looking to raise. We often get questions, oh, I'm going to go out, I'm going to raise like 50% of, of my valuation. And I'm like, why? Like, why would you do that? And to be able to break it into steps, raise just enough, or if you can bootstrap your way until you can deliver better valuation for your early investors, that is always very, very important. Obviously, you can run out of cash before you can reach your next raise, right? But right. just raise enough and that that is just... You know, too much money is a problem as well. Yes, definitely. I totally agree with you. We've seen startups collapse, <laughs> holding too much money. Yeah. Like, like I mentioned, if you want to change the world, it, it doesn't happen in one single day. Yeah. You, if you break it down in steps, it helps 
you and it helps your team to sort of be more focused as well it helps your investors to you know stage your progress as well and they can stand by the you know reserve yeah. sums for to follow on your round as well this has been a fascinating chat alan um and i would love to bring you back on the show in a couple of months time to see how your progress has been especially with the race and the expansion uh, plans I have one last question. Sure. If all our listeners and our audience want to reach out to you, how can they uh, get in touch with you? Um, they they can email me directly. If they can't find my email, they can uh, link me up through uh, my LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. And definitely, uh, I, I guess, guys, you are a very well-known person. If, let's say, they want to reach out to me through the program or once they have seen this podcast, they want to reach out to me, they can always make the connection through you. Look at the posts <laughs> that I just did <laughs> on LinkedIn. Okay, okay. So that would be, if you want to look for Alan, that would be Alan Go, And the company is NDR, Medical Technology. Yes, definitely. I mean, the last words, I mean, I, I just want to sell a little bit of uh, Please do, advertisement. Not, not for NDR. Yeah. We have been sort of given a lot of grants by Enterprise uh, Singapore, oh, the yeah, government. Oh, you award? Uh, yeah, no, not, not just the award itself. We actually started the whole company because we have received a proof of concept grant and proof of value grant and they have helped us uh, tremendously. So I definitely want to give my thanks to Enterprise uh, Singapore mm-hmm. for helping us. If without them, we wouldn't even sort of kickstart the entire thing. And secondly, we want to uh, really thank SG Innovate because they are one of our first uh, believers. They invested, they led the round for us so impressively. If let's say you guys are wondering whether SG Innovate will lead any round, yes, they would, but they do a lot of due diligence on you. So better make sure... How long was the DD? Yeah, I think we take about more than six months to close to to a year of discussion. But make sure you have what it takes and make sure you prepare your things before you go to SG Innovate. And NTU Intuitive, I mean, they are our first beloved as well, as well as uh, ST Engineering, the, you know, Sparks. They have been treating us, wow, the way you you, you can't even imagine other incubators are doing. They give us space, they they, they give us technical expertise, they give us a lot of resource, they connect us with people. All of that is gold for a startup. Yeah, those are are gold, those are saves you a lot of costs, you know, in terms of unnecessary steps you have to go through. So based on the uh, particular partners that I'm talking about, do look out for them. I I think they really help startup, especially deep tech startups to have a, Headwind. I mean, in terms yeah. of where they are heading towards. If, if we have startups that in, in that are listening to this and are interested to get a little bit more advice, can they get in touch with you and seek your advice on how to go about reaching out to those contacts? Sure, definitely. Maybe because even for for most of the incubators or the institutional investor that we I just now mentioned, yeah. they are all, always looking for deals, but only good deals. <laughs> and I, yeah, if, it's, if it's good enough definitely I will help to make the recommendation absolutely Alan I could talk to you all day so <laughs> unfortunately we are um, very close to the end of our show and um, thank you for listening it's been a pleasure having you Alan on the show I look forward to um, hosting our next um, next week's show this is Gustavo from uh, Asia Tech Podcast okay thank you you've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast Find out more at ATP.show.